technology has been a massive game changer when it comes to where and how we work. And now, off the back of Australia's largest work from home experiment, we can't imagine a time where we did our jobs without it. So how do we take advantage of the benefits that technology has on offer so that we can be more effective, connected, happy and productive? Well, you go right to the top of one of the most recognisable brands in Australia, if not the world. And that's exactly what I did. Join me as I chat with Steve Worrell, Managing Director of Microsoft Australia, where we cover topics like the state of technological adoption in Australia and the digital skills of Australian workers, whether or not we should have a robot tax, the impact of working from home on employee health, well-being, and social connection, and some tips and tricks for fostering collaboration, culture, and community across physical and digital environments. My name is Ben Hamer, and you're listening to the final episode of Season 2 of Exploring the Future of Work with PwC Australia. I'm joined by Steve Worrell, the Managing Director for Microsoft Australia. Welcome on board, Steve. G'day, Ben. We'll get straight into things. And to start with, Steve, can you talk a little bit about how Microsoft was impacted by COVID-19? Yeah, look, I think, Ben, first of all, there was the personal implications and the, the first and most important impact has been, still is, is the well-being of every member of the team, as I'm sure you experienced, I don't know, certainly from many of our clients. There was just so many different reactions to the pandemic, at least in the early days, in terms of what did this mean for each of us? What did it mean for our families? What did it mean for our loved ones? What did it mean for people that we, family members and loved ones overseas? And so I think massive impact there, thinking through how best to help each of us then deal with those pressures and challenges. And then I think as you turn to the professional side, the sort of work side, we, we were in a, in a better position than most, I, I suspect, if, if only because of the use of the technology that has become such a part of so many industries and so many businesses over the last 18 months. You know, up until you know, coming into the pandemic for us, work was always the thing that you did, not a place that you went to. So uh, I think in a way that helped prepare us, but um, the, the personal side, profound impact then, and, and we're still dealing with those, those impacts, to be fair. Absolutely. And what you've just been talking about, I mean, technology being a huge part of the future of work with how we work, where we work and, and how we collaborate as well. What are some of the key technological advancements that you think will shape the future of work over the next five years? Well, we've seen a lot of them already, and, and it's it could be as simple as technology like Zoom or Teams, where we're now learning to connect and communicate with each other, no matter where members of our team might be or family members might be, for that matter, around the world. That obviously is going to continue to evolve and to provide new ways for us to, to connect uh, with each other. So I think that's a very obvious example. But then, you know, if you think about the other implications for other industries, you know, we saw a, a massive um, increase in the use of telehealth, for example, or uh, our supermarkets had massive increases in the demand for online shopping. The services that allow the digital services that allowed telehealth to be provided or for our major retailers to scale up so that they could meet that massive demand are typically provided in, in the cloud. That cloud capability, I think, has been instrumental. In the past, you might have had to build that capability yourselves. And how do, how do, how do you think about an organization trying to respond in a, you know, in a matter of hours or days, trying to build the capability to scale up digital infrastructure? It just wouldn't have happened. 
And so in one sense, the pandemic happen, happening as it did well after the evolution of the cloud, as we now know it, I think um, has helped facilitate our response and recovery through what has been an incredibly difficult period. Well, it sounds like we're in a pretty good position uh, in terms of where we are now, but then thinking about the future, the next five, 10 years, how do you think Australian organisations are positioned to capitalise on some of these trends in the emerging technology that we can expect to see? Well, I think uh, we're, we're positioned well, but the work is all ahead of us, quite obviously. And so we've we dealt with, to a large extent, the health crisis. The health crisis is still with us, to be fair. We, we, we still have lockdowns happening across the country and there are still issues, quite obviously. But if you compare us to other nations around the world, there's no doubt that Australia has navigated through the health crisis better than most. The economic recovery is still ahead of us. Um, early signs are really positive. Our economic outlook, uh, we know, is, is comparing very favourably to most other developed nations around the world. And yet uh, we had a series of challenges that we took into this crisis we can't forget about. Uh, the transition of our economy as we think about decarbonising Australia's economy, the um, changing shape of our workforce when you think about our industry composition related to decarbonisation is how, how do we start to migrate our workforce into industries uh, of the future and uh, provide uh, opportunities for those in work to navigate to new roles and of course how do we help find great new roles for people entering the workforce. These are massive challenges that were with us well before the pandemic arrived and I think you know, we've, we've been able to navigate well through to this point. Technology has played an important role and it offers a way forward. But the work for us to reshape our workforce, to reshape our economy, yes, is very much in front of us. And a bit of a curveball because you're talking about the intersection of human and, and digital. And I wonder what are your thoughts on what we're seeing some other countries start to implement things around a robot tax. So um, where there might be a, a net deficit uh, in terms of job displacement as a result of organ automation, organisations are then paying a, a tax or tariff. Do you have any views on that? Yeah, look, I think there's there've been those conversations. There's been a conversation about a universal income and, and other, other social policies that I think are, are worthy of discussion. Uh, for me, I, I think there's so much potential here in Australia for us to navigate our way and, and to, to think about how our industries can and should pivot as we think about the next five to 10 years in our role here in Asia. We, we are in such a, an amazingly fortunate position and have been for the last 30 years when you think about the economic growth track record that we have. But how do we set ourselves up to drive that same uh, track record forward? I think the opportunities are there in, in terms of if you start looking at different industry verticals in energy, you know, we, we have such amazing reserves of renewable energy sources. And, and I'm not the only person to make this observation, but we as a nation are perhaps not making as much progress in moving towards that renewable future uh, as we might. The opportunity is still there for us. And um, that's a, an area of great interest for, for Microsoft because we work closely with CSIRO and a number of our clients on how we might ensure that we make that future possible. Uh, but those transitions are, are available to us in many industry segments. And, and so back to your question, I think Ben, those social policies are worthy of consideration, but I think there's so many other ways in which we can and need to think about our workforce creating those new jobs of the future, technology dependent in many cases, but, but, but will also help us to set uh, our next generation up for the sort of economic prosperity that we have enjoyed over the last 30 years. 
Yeah, there are some great considerations for us to keep top of mind uh, within this discussion, but I am keen to move the dial now to something you mentioned at the start of our conversation, which was employee health and well-being, because we released some research recently, Changing Places, which shone the spotlight on the health and well-being agenda, particularly because of the impact of hybrid working on things like social connections, workload, and the blurred lines between home and the workplace. Can you talk a little bit more around Microsoft's experience on this one? We, we recently performed or completed a, a work trend index, which was a report, a massive global report that looked at these issues across many, many countries and many industries. And there were a couple of uh, macro conclusions that came out or, or themes that came out of that report that were uh, interesting and surprising in some cases. There's no question many of the themes that you've, you've just touched on were present in terms of the fatigue that many reported from constant engagement uh, through a digital platform. The idea of getting up in the morning and clicking on to Zoom or Teams and then being there 12 hours later, clicking off and then that blurring between work and home. Um, th those themes were very, very clear. What we also saw, which was interesting, was this divide between leadership and early arrivals into organisations. So those who, who perhaps have been on board for three to five years, very different view of the experience of the last two years. Broadly speaking, and these are the reports available for anyone who's interested, but broadly speaking, leaders had a more positive experience through this period than those that were early in career. Uh, and there are lots of reasons for that, but one of them very obviously is that early in your career, one of the, one of the most important elements of, of your onboarding is getting to meet people and having that engagement with team members, uh, elders, if you like, across the organization that can help show you the ropes and, and can pass on skills through those informal conversations that will happen in team meetings during a, a, a client call, during a, a situation when you're working on a project together. And so, you know, we, we've been thinking very deeply about that issue. Um, we're also thinking deeply about how do we manage that um, that divide between work and uh, and home. And so, through evolutions in our platform, we we have a Teams platform, of course, but a new digital uh, engagement platform that we'll be rolling out called Viva, which will start to think more deeply about the digital employee experience that that we can provide, and and I'm optimizing that in a way that addresses many of the concerns that we've touched on here, but also acknowledging that there's something very important about social interaction and about in-person engagement, uh, and ensuring that we we balance the use of digital capability. Uh, with that uh, human interaction, because we know that's so important for so many people, not, not just those who are early in career. Yeah, I think that um, really resonates in terms of some research we released at the end of last year that was called Thinking Beyond. And we saw that a third of people were really concerned about career progression while working remotely, because this whole thing of, if you can't see me, how can you know that I'm adding value and doing my job? And similarly, um, that absence of the observational learning that you're talking about. One of the other things we're also seeing as well, between the more junior people or, or fresh to the organisation, and as you put it, your word, not mine, elders, is that the strength of networks. So when you have really strong networks, you know who to go to, to, to ask the right questions, to get the job done. When you're newer to the organisation, or particularly if you started during COVID, you don't have those relationships and it can really impact your ability to be productive and efficient in your work. We're also seeing just on, on top of that, Ben, the sort of this report that networks are shrinking through this time. Engagement over a digital platform tends to be more transactional. You have a job to do, you've got a task to complete, uh, an issue to resolve, you set up a call, you have the call, you close the call, you move on. 
in that transactional environment, productivity, ironically, has improved in, in the first period of the pandemic, and yet networks have contracted. And the number of informal interactions, not surprisingly, and the number of introductions to other members of the team who may not be directly involved in that moment in that issue um, have obviously reduced. And so the unintended consequences of the moment we find ourselves in now with the use of digital technology as the, for many, the dominant way in which people have interacted has been for, for many the sense that my network is, is diminishing. I'm, I'm being more transactional, perhaps I'm being more effective, but the long-term implications of this aren't really understood. And, and that's why I, I think we have to be very thoughtful about the balance between continuing to use digital interactions as the primary way in which we engage and then this idea of getting back physically together again to ensure that we balance out some of those unintended consequences that are bubbling to the surface. Yeah, we're definitely seeing that piece around the quality of social interactions diminishing in some regard because everything you were just saying, but even the littlest of things, like if I need to, to ask a quick question rather than just turning around and saying, hey, Steve, what do you think? I put a 30-minute meeting in your diary. And so it means it's not only a formal interaction, but workload and the cost of coordination just goes up as well. So, Steve, I'm keen to now uh, sort of still stay on the topic of well-being, but get your thoughts on something that came up in a podcast we did with Alex Badenoch from Telstra recently. And I'd asked Alex, and I'm, I'm keen to ask you the same question here, around technology and whether or not it impacts uh, well-being in a positive or a negative light. So does technology actually impact our well-being adversely? You know, this whole thing around we're always connected or is technology actually an enabler to a more healthier balanced life? What are your thoughts on that one? It's a tool, simply put. It's, it's a tool that we use to perform tasks and to help us in organisations or in our family life to connect and to share information. And, and in that context, then it can be both. It can be both a platform that allows you to do all the things you need to do in an efficient way. And I, I haven't met anyone over the last 18 months that hasn't said that, that Zoom or Teams or these sorts of platforms have, have played an instrumental role in allowing them to continue to engage either professionally or personally. I've, I, I honestly haven't because it's been so core to what it has meant to keep going over the last 18 months. At the same time, for the reasons we've talked about, you know, fatigue, this blurring of lines between work and, and home, these are issues that are, are, are real, cannot be ignored. And the unintended consequences of, of using a tool without thinking through, okay, what are the, what are the, what's the other side of this coin? I think can lead to um, impacts that, that aren't positive. And so part of the work that we're doing, this report I mentioned, the evolution of our thinking is to ensure that we into Viva, our, our new platform, we're embedding things like a virtual commute. As, as odd as this may sound, the, the formality of saying, you know, you, you're sitting down to a 12 hour day, let's just ensure that there's a half hour break either side purposely inserted into your diary so it doesn't get taken up by Ben calling to ask that question of Stephen that he wanted to ask and that you might then choose to use that in whatever way makes sense. Um, we, we know in this particular case we've got a partnership with, um, with, with Headspace to provide meditation and other, you know, other distractions that you might use during that period but you could use it for your favourite podcast, you could read the newspaper, you can use it in whatever way makes sense but there's this formality to okay there's a period where I'm transitioning from walk from walking out of the kitchen or talking to the kids or, or my partner to now getting into the work mode. And so I think we've got to be thoughtful about this tool and how it's impacting how we work and what, what implications it's having for both our physical and mental well-being. 
And talking about technology, you're talking about the, the way it can support hybrid working, particularly over the last uh, 12 to 24 months. And as you said at the start of the podcast, you were a bit of a first mover in this space in the sense that you already believed that work was something that you did, not a place that you did it. And so it could be done uh, across multiple places and spaces, which is quite a progressive view in the context of the broader Australian labour market. Can you just talk a little bit more around what underpins or supports that view around work getting done in those various places and spaces? Part of it, of course, is is the role we play as a technology provider. And then the simple fact that we're using Teams ourselves all day, every day meant for us, people living their lives, managing their personal situations and managing the demands at work often meant that starting at home in the morning and then coming to the office in the afternoon or starting in the office in the morning and looking after the kids in the afternoon and then continuing work later in the evening that was just part and parcel of who we were and what we did and so we we were lucky right we're privileged to be in the position we were it was also been part of the reality that when this hit we, we were a digital first responder there are so many heroes across Australia in our, our hospitals, in our schools, in our supermarkets, in our government departments that supported every Australian through the most challenging time that any of us have ever experienced in our life. And when we were in the, the privileged position to be a digital first responder, providing the capability and the tools that allowed all of those Australians and well, many of those Australians to then continue to do the things that they needed to do. Oftentimes we were working it out as we went, but that put us in a unique position, I think, gave us a unique perspective on the power of technology. But at the same time, we, we want to stay thoughtful about then what's the steady state that we arrive at when we navigate our way through the health crisis and how do we get to a point where we're not then inflicting upon ourselves unintended consequences that might come from an overuse of a particular mode of working. And so that's that's what we think a lot about. And what's your view on the level of digital capability or the foundational digital literacy of Australians uh, to actually leverage and take advantage of this technology? It's strong. I think we've seen that in the last uh, 12 months. And I, I, I think about meetings, you know, discussions I have with CEOs of our major clients. And, you know, they, in many cases, they, they talk about how, how do we bottle what we've seen in the last 12 months in our organisation? Because it's been being confronted by this crisis has brought us together in a way that it's allowed us to achieve things in 12 months that we've been working on for three years. And so to your question, the digital capability is strong. I think the biggest issue here, Ben, is just the shortage of skills that we have. And there isn't a client I talk to, and certainly true in my business, we, we don't have enough of the, the right skills in the right places, and we need more and more and more digital capability. So I, I think I think we're in a we're in a, a good spot. I think we've got strong capability. We've seen this rapid adoption of technology across our economy that's helped us in so many ways. And yet we know that that curve is only going to continue to increase. And we, as a collective, need to do much, much more to bring more people into the tech industry to build more digital capability. I love what you were talking about as well when you were saying, you know, we really want to try and bottle some of the good bits that came from the COVID-19 experience because it accelerated a lot of positive transformation in the workforce. And it makes me think about this tension that's kind of manifesting at the moment around return to workplace because we're seeing some organisations that are really supporting the hybrid move. And then there are others who kind of just want to go back to the way things were and they're trying to push the return to office, mandating days in the office, some five days a week. And our Changing Places research showed that only 10% of Australians want to work five days a week in an office. So what advice would you have to organisations or other CEOs that are grappling with this exact kind of topic at the moment? 
the first thought, of course, is that different industries have different needs. And there are some roles that have to be performed in what we'll, we'll call the office. But, you know, you think about Coles and, and Woolworths, right? All of that, their teams um, turning up to distribution centers across the country, keeping our food supply network working. You, you need that team to turn up all day, every day. There's no single answer to your question, but I think starting point has to be an acknowledgement that, that there are some industries where being more flexible, depending more on hybrid uh, approaches is more uh, possible than others. So I think I just acknowledge that reality. Second thought though is I think declarations about what the future is going to look like, we're all gonna be back in the office again, or we're all gonna be working from home. I, I just think they're heroic <laughs> that anyone could foresee that that's going to be the right way because for me, it's very much an evolving scenario and uh, declarations about, well, we're all going to do X wow, um, in this moment, given the uncertainty and all the concern that's still around, I, I think we've got a long way to go. And I think the best advice I would offer is let's just be thoughtful, look at the industry context, look at your, your customers and your supply chain's expectations. Uh, think about your employees, what, what's their experience like through all of this, and then work out the right method. I think, you know, our industry, you know, chest beating to say it's always going to be hybrid, it's always working from home or wherever you are, doesn't really help progress this this conversation. Something else that our clients find quite challenging is how to go about meaningfully collaborating and building culture in geographically dispersed environments and virtual environments. And so do you have any creative ways or just general advice around how you can foster a sense of culture and community across digital mediums and multiple spaces? Two, two thoughts that come to mind. There's lots of techniques I've seen, but two, two thoughts that come to mind. One, one is um, we've, we've got an insight into our workmates' personal life in a way that uh, we've never had before. You know, um, In fact, in this report that we completed, there's, there's about 15 or 16% of the team of the people who responded saying they have now met the pets of their workmates. Uh, we've had insights into people's kitchens. We've had insights into their family life. We've built this intimacy in a way that, I don't think existed before in, across at scale, across so many different parts of our business. And so the first thought, Ben, I think would be to develop that, to, to leverage that, to recognize and acknowledge it and embrace it as part of one of the positives that's come out of this. And you can build morale and culture and teamwork across geographic distances. When you just start with the basics, which is we're all humans dealing with the most challenging time of our lives, uh, and connecting at that level, whether it's around pets or around family or around interests and hobbies, uh, we found that to be a very effective way to address that, that topic. Another idea that came out of, um, I'm involved with the Corporate Mental Health Alliance, and another idea that came out of that group when we got together last year at the, the beginning of one of the lockdowns in Melbourne was just postcode gatherings. You know, we, had, we saw a number of communities who were in lockdown, weren't allowed to you know, stray more than five kilometres from their home. Um, but we, we then started uh, suggesting to the team, you know, share your postcode, because if you're in a particular postcode, you can get together with teammates you may not have known live in that same area. And we saw groups of our teams getting together in different parts of the country, um, going for a walk, doing whatever was within the health guidelines. But that was another little, little tactic that we saw uh, was quite effective. I have to say, my dog Schnitty has become somewhat famous uh, while working remotely, and I'm not mad about it. <laughs> So Steve, it gets a little bit more complex when there are some people who are in the office and others who are online. 
And as people start to return to the workplace, we're expecting to see this proximity bias play out where those who are in person are intentionally or unintentionally favoured over those who might be online. How do you think we can get on top of this one so we don't see disproportionate impacts on those working remotely? I think it's such a massive question because what we've realised uh, more so now than at any point is that talent is everywhere, but opportunity is not. And it, it offers an answer to one of our earlier questions around how do we build more capacity and digital capability? We do that in Australia by acknowledging the massive amounts of talent we have all around the country that aren't currently working in the tech industry in a big city. And so, so I think it's a really important question you pose. The, the, the way to do it, I think it's to be thoughtful about how you then implement a hybrid environment. And this is why we're working so hard on our, on our employee engagement platform, because we wanna make sure that it provides all of the opportunity for anyone, regardless of whether they're in the office sitting next to the boss or whether they're in another part of the country at home, to be able to engage and to connect and to contribute in an equal way. And so I think there's a being thoughtful about how you use technology and how you implement your hybrid policies. And then I think it's it's about conversation. Then I think it's about leaders opening up about this conversation, putting it on the table and openly being thoughtful about how we are being inclusive in our work practices. This has been a big issue for us for the last 30 years. How do we become a more, as business leaders and in businesses more broadly, how do we become more inclusive in our operations? And this is just the latest challenge in ensuring that those practices are embedded and that we're honing our skills because there's so much more for us to learn and to improve. So Steve, while a lot of organisations are rethinking their office footprint, Microsoft Australia has now gone and just opened a, a new facility. How's that played out for you? Really, really well. Ben, we, we, we opened it earlier this month and it was amazing to see everyone, and, and I mean everyone, turn up uh, to come in and check out the new, the new digs. Uh, we're in North Sydney and it's an amazing, amazing space. But I think for me, what it's highlighted is the need for physical proximity and the idea that the workplace is alive and well. There's so much to be gained by getting teams together. The energy that I saw uh, when we opened was was palpable and the response from the team has been overwhelming. For me, this is core to the idea of focusing on our employees, making this the very best place to work and creating the best experience for them. That has to be both a combination of the digital and the physical. And so you can tell from my answer that when we think about the workplace of the future, it is very much hybrid with a heavy emphasis on both. Well, Steve, that comes to the end of our time together, but I'm not going to let you get off scot-free without answering our quick fire questions. So are you ready to get underway? As ready as I'll be. <laughs> Alrighty. When you hear the term future of work, what one word springs to mind? Evolving. If you could make one change to today's workforce, what would it be? I want to bring Ginger and Maya, my two golden retrievers, into the office, and that means you could bring Schnitty into yours. What is the biggest opportunity for organisations in your industry over the next five years when it comes to the future of work? I think it's this emphasis and focus on employee wellbeing. I, I think mental health and the implications of this time we've been through are going to become more and more important. And that's, that's where we're focusing so much of our time and effort. What's the biggest lesson you've learned as a leader from the COVID-19 period? It came from, I'm going to name drop here, but Professor Genevieve Bell from the ANU when she said early on, we can't totalize the experience. And she was pointing to the reality that 
every single person is having a, a very unique reaction to this moment. Uh, as a leader, keeping that front of mind is so important. And yes or no, is the office dead? No. Well, on that note, Steve, we're done and dusted for season two. And I would like to extend a massive thank you for joining us on the podcast today. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us and listening to this episode. Head on over to pwc.com.au slash changing places where you'll find our latest report, Changing Places, How Hybrid Working is Rewriting the Rulebook. My name is Ben Hamer, and you've been listening to Exploring the Future of Work with PwC Australia. Thanks for joining us and goodbye for now.